Well, good morning, church. I'm glad that you have joined us uh, this morning online. Um, we're going to continue our sermon series entitled Spiritual Lessons from Coronavirus. And this week's topic came to me as I was scrolling through Facebook, and I came across a post that made me stop and think. Um, the post was very simple. It was just one little sentence, but it was pretty profound in its implications. The post simply read, what if we treated sin like it was the coronavirus? Now, this was one of those quotes, one of those questions that I couldn't get out of my mind. And I know that you all have experienced that before. Somebody said something and you can't stop thinking about it. Or you heard a song and you can't stop singing it or humming it. So much so that you drive your family crazy and they ask you to please stop singing that song. Um, I know that you can relate to that. And that's what this uh, quote did to me. That's what this question did to me this week. I kept thinking about it over and over and over again. And um, after it rattling around in my brain for two or three days, I finally decided, well, why not do a message based on that question? What if we treated sin like it was the coronavirus? Now, we all know that the coronavirus is a really serious problem. We know that it can infect us and cause us to become very sick. We know that it's impacted hundreds of thousands of people around the world. We know that people who contract the virus can have very mild symptoms. We know that they can have very serious, um, severe consequences. Now, because the coronavirus is a serious issue, the world is treating it seriously. In places where the virus is spreading, we have been asked to do some pretty extraordinary things to try and help prevent the spread and flatten the curve. People around the world are being uh, encouraged to change the normal way of doing things. And life, as we know it, has been changed dramatically, right? In response to this, this virus, life is completely different now. But here's a thought. What if we all got as serious about sin in our lives as we have gotten about this virus? What if we um, got as serious about the sin in our lives as we have gotten about preventing the spread of this virus? Because the reality is the sin in our lives is an even more serious problem than the coronavirus. As a matter of fact, sin untreated has a 100% death rate. Now, we all know that sin is a problem. We know that. We know that it can come into our lives and it can cause us to be spiritually ill, spiritually sick. We know that it can cause us to do things that we should not be doing. And we know that sin can cause us to uh, not do things that we should be doing, right? It causes us to do things we shouldn't and it causes us not to do the things that we should. And we all know that if we let sin go untreated, that it, it will cause spiritual death. James 4.17 says, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Now, the most common New Testament word for sin is hamarita, and hamarita means to miss the mark or to err. And that's a very vivid image, right? I know when I say miss the mark, we're all automatically probably thinking of a bullseye. And that's good because imagine God's law, God's ways, God's plan for our lives as a bullseye, as a target. And um, sin occurs when we try to hit the bullseye, right? And we fail. We come short. Not just once, not twice, but repeatedly. 
We continually miss the mark. Well, in the New Testament, sin always descri is described as a deviation from God's law um, in, in a moral sense, right? We have deviated from what God has told us or instructed us to do. And whether by omission, failing to do what we know is right, or by commission, doing what we know is wrong or sinful, sin can happen in our thoughts, in our words, and in our deeds. There's also another word that describes sin, which translates as trespass or transgression. Now, this word literally means to step across the line, right? We, we've said that before too, right? We said, don't step across the line, or you've stepped across the line. You've gone too far. Well, we see signs posted all the time that says private property, no trespassing. We know what that sign means. We know very well what that sign means. It means that if we step over that property line, we have trespassed onto somebody else's property, onto somebody else's land. And it's like that with sin as well. God says, here's the line, don't cross it. And the person who ignores God's standard of righteousness and steps across that line has committed a trespass a transgression against God. Now, it seems that some people are okay with sin. Some people are okay. In fact, it seems to be promoted and encouraged in Hollywood. We see movies and TV shows that depict sin as no big deal. We read books where sin is encouraged, it's elevated, it's practiced. We see government passing laws that legalize what God says is sin. And then many people are living a lifestyle where sin is ignored and where God's commandments are broken, excuse me, broken on a regular basis. But here's the real problem with sin. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. So I ask the question again, what if we treated sin like it was the coronavirus? How would our lives change? Well, over the next few minutes, I want to look at how we have been responding to the coronavirus and relate that to how we can make a similar response to the sin in our lives, okay? So let's talk about three things that we are doing as a result of this coronavirus. The first thing that we're doing is we're separating ourselves. One of the first responses to the coronavirus um, outbreak was that we were asked to separate ourselves, to um, socially distance. That's become a really popular uh, phrase over the last few months, um, socially distance. Well, we hear it about a million times on the television or the radio. We see signs posted everywhere. It's a, a phrase that's used in everyday conversation now. Um, and as a result of social distancing, we've made every effort to physically distance ourselves from other people. We've tried staying at home. We, a lot of people are working from home. And we try to not make any unnecessary trips in order to avoid coming in contact with somebody who may be infected with the virus. Well, the truth is we need to socially distance ourselves, physically distance ourselves from sin. But the problem is this. Just like there are a lot of people out there who are ignoring the socially distancing rule and they are going out whenever they want and being in contact with whoever they want, we often will ignore the warning and the sign to socially or physically distance ourselves from sin. And before we know it, we have found ourselves very far away from God. Instead of physically distancing ourselves from sin, we ignore the warning signs and instead we end up socially or physically or spiritually distancing ourselves from God. And now we are isolated and alone. But it wasn't God who moved, right? 
We say, oh, I feel so isolated from God. I feel so alone. Where has God gone? Well, God is, God's not moved away. It's us, right? We moved. We socially, physically, spiritually distance ourselves from God. Psalm 66, 20 says, Praise be to God who has not turned away my prayer or his loving kindness from me. Now listen, my friends, if you find yourselves disconnected with God, God is not the one who moved away. God is not the one. We move away from God's direction and his protection, and we find ourselves alone. We see countless examples of this all throughout scripture, examples of what happens to God's people when they physically, um, spiritually distance themselves from God. Even God's chosen people, the Israelites, they ignored God's direction, and as a result, they would always find themselves in trouble. Isaiah 59.2 says, But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. You know, we still see this today. Ignoring God or distancing ourselves from God will allow the sin in our lives to completely infect us and take over. Hebrew 3.12 says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. James 4.8 says, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. That's uh, a big problem today of us moving away from God. We distance ourselves from God. But what if instead of distancing ourselves from God, we drew near to God and we distance ourselves from sin? Because let me tell you something, the more we draw near to God, the further away from sin we're getting. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Now, I've been preaching this and teaching this for years to you all. What if we distance ourselves from those who tempt us to do wrong? Who encourage us to do the things that we know we shouldn't be doing? What if we distance ourselves from corrupt business behavior and dealings? What if we distance ourselves from those who lie and who cheat and who steal? Don't you think that our world would be so much different if we did that? Someone once says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. In other words, blessed is the person who distanced themselves from sin. Another word for that, blessed or blessed, is happy. Happy are those who stay away from sin, who keep their distance from sin. One of the things people say that they want most in this life is happiness. They want to be happy, right? Well, scripture is clear that if we distance ourselves from God, that we will be blessed, we will be happy. So if we treated sin like we were responding to the coronavirus, we would distance ourselves from sin and draw near to God. But there's another way that we've been responding to the coronavirus, and we talked about this next step last week. We would wash our hands. We would disinfect everything around us. In our response to the coronavirus, scientists have been telling us uh, that washing our hands is one of the best ways in preventing the spread of the coronavirus. And that's because when we touch the surface that has the virus on it, the virus can stick to our skin in a glue-like way. And some even describe this um, like a, a Velcro bond. So imagine you touch a surface that has the coronavirus on it, and it now is bonded to you 
on your skin. And washing with soap and water is one of the most effective ways to destroy or dislo dislodge that Velcro bond. Way better than using hand sanitizer. Um, soap not only loosens the glue that the virus um, and ha um, has to the skin, it also disrupts the Velcro-like connections that hold the virus together, right? So imagine the, the, it's sticking to you in a glue-like way, and the, the, the virus cell has all these little Velcro um, spikes coming off of it. So the combination of soap and water doesn't just wash the virus down the drain, it causes that virus to literally fall apart, like crumble, as if a house of cards is being toppled over. That's why washing our hands with soap and water is one of the best ways that we can prevent the, the spread of the coronavirus. But what if we did this with the sin in our lives? What if we washed our hands of the unrighteousness and the filthiness of sin? What if we did this on a regular basis, daily basis? Last week we talked about all the Old Testament rituals um, of cleansing for people when they had a communicable disease. And there's a passage that I came across this week that I want to read to you. This is some instructions that God gave to Moses um, for those who have um, been infected. Um, it's found in Leviticus 14, verses 8 to 9. It says this, The person to be cleansed must wash their clothes, shave off all their hair, and bathe with water. Then they will be ceremonially clean. After this, they may come into the camp, but they must stay outside their tent for seven days. On the seventh day, they must shave off their hair. They must shave their head, their beard, their eyebrows, and the rest of their hair. They must wash their clothes and bathe themselves with water, and they will be clean. Now, the children of Israel went through some pretty elaborate steps to rid themselves of diseases back in the day. And I am so glad that the CDC hasn't asked all of us to shave our heads and our eyebrows and our beards off. But what if we took sin in our lives as seriously as this? What if we worked as hard to cleanse sin from our lives um, as they did in this passage of scripture? There's actually a theological term for doing that, and it's called repentance. Repentance. Repentance means to be sorry for our sins and to turn away from the sin. To be sorry for it and then make changes in our lives. It's the act of turning away from sin and turning towards God. So what if we cleansed our mouth of gossip and all other offensive language? What if we cleansed our eyes from lustful glares? What if we cleansed our hearts from envying what other people have and we allowed ourselves to be grateful and thankful and satisfied with what God has already blessed us with? What if we cleansed our minds of impure and evil thoughts? And what if we cleansed our hearts of anger and bitterness and strife and malice? The truth is that God expects us to do that. God expects us to do all of those things. In 1 Peter 1, 14 to 16, we are instructed, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Now, what if we cleansed ourselves? What if we repented of our sinful ways? What response do you think that we would receive from God? Well, I will tell you. 
Because 2 Corinthians 6.17 tells us, Come out from them and be separated, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. I will receive you. And Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9 says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, I believe, and the Bible backs me up on this, that if we would strive to remove the sin from our lives, we would see a big change in this world. I believe if as a nation we were to strive as hard at cleansing ourselves from sin as we are at working to cleanse ourselves of this virus, that God would bless us to an extent that we could not even begin to imagine. So if we treated sin like we're responding to the coronavirus, we would distance ourselves from sin, we would wash our, our hands of unrighteousness and the filthiness of sin, and finally we would seek an antidote. That's why right now there's a concentrated effort to find a cure, right? Researchers are frantically working around the clock trying to find a vaccine or create a vaccine that will work against the virus because we desperately need something that will work as an antidote to this virus. And you know what? We also need an antidote for the spiritual disease of sin because the infection rate for sin is astronomical. Do you know how many people are infected with sin? 100%. Romans 3.23 tells us, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But there is a miracle cure, an antidote. When God sent his son, Jesus, in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering, he paid the price and he suffered the punishment that, unright, that righteousness demanded so that we may be set free and cured of this terrible disease. God graciously provided an antidote for us. He gave us his son to die on a cross for our salvation. Alistair Begg said, the antidote to sin is always to go back to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the antidote to sin is that God sent his son to live as a man, to experience temptation and yet not sin, to know the pain of mankind, and yet in purity and in holiness to be punished on our behalf. Romans 5, 6 says, you see at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. All the sins of the world before and after have been rolled up, wrapped up and placed on the cross. In Jesus' death, we can all die to sin. And in his resurrection, the power of sin is defeated forever. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteousness for the unrighteousness, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. So the cross of Christ is an antidote to sin. But I want to share with you one more thing. I read a quote this week as well. Um, concerning an antidote for sin. It was written of, uh, by Philo of Alexandria, and he said, Thanksgiving is the antidote to sinful behavior. To sinful behavior. So the cross of Christ is the antidote to sin itself. 
but thanksgiving is the antidote to sinful behavior. Philo was a philosopher who lived for uh, both before and after Jesus, um, about 20 BC to about 50 AD. And he was a brilliant guy living in the most incredible period of history. And I looked up after reading this, uh, the word antidote in the dictionary, and it says a remedy which counteracts the effects of a poison. It went on to say anything that counteracts evil. So if you think about that, Thanksgiving being an antidote that counteracts evil. I'm not talking about the holiday Thanksgiving. Don't get images of turkey and pilgrims in your mind. I'm talking about the act of giving thanks. Thanksgiving is a sin buster. Ephesians 5, 1-4, listen to these words from Paul. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking. And listen to this, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. The word that Paul uses for thanksgiving in this passage is the Greek word eucharisto, that same word from which we get the word eucharist, which is another word for the Lord's Supper or communion. So Philo would have used the same word when he said that thanksgiving is the antidote for sinful behavior. That's interesting to me. Paul and Philo say that Thanksgiving is to be re a replacement for sin. And a big part of our Thanksgiving is remembering the shed blood of Christ on the cross. Now, quite simply, when we're tempted to sin or tempted by sin, giving thanks can give us a way out. Thanksgiving is the antidote to sin. I think about those who are struggling with addiction, right? And they're, they're, they come to, to that line that, that's been drawn. And they're tempted. They're tempted to sin. But rather, they start thinking about all that God has done for them. How God has restored them and brought their family back to them. And they begin, begin to thank God for all the good things in their lives. And before they know it, they have turned away from that temptation. Because thanksgiving is a way out. You know, I look forward to the time when we can come back together and we can worship all in the same building. I think that first Sunday back, I'm going to have a terrible time getting everybody to sit down and stop hugging so that we can get on with the service. I'm looking forward to that day, and I know that you are too. But even while we're separated by distance, we are not separated by the love of God. And because of God's love, we can fellowship together in new and unique ways, um, together as brothers and sisters in Christ, even when we're having to stay in place. And we can thank God that none of us in this church have been infected uh, with the coronavirus, that we um, have been able to stay in contact with each other. And I know that I have grown more in love with my congregation and uh, long to see you. Um, and I, I look forward to that day. Um, so those of you sitting at home right now, um, I encourage you to really think about these, these three ways that we have um, 
responded to the coronavirus and really consider responding to the sin in your life in a similar way, right? To distance yourself from sin, to wash yourself of the unrighteousness, the filthiness of sin, and to seek out that antidote that, that Christ uh, paid for, right? Um, that he paid uh, dearly for, um, which was his death on a cross, and receive that antidote. You can't just say there is an antidote and not receive it, right? You have to take it. So I just encourage you to do that. In closing, let's just pray together. Lord, my prayer is that we would all take time today and in the days ahead to really think about what we've discussed today. Help us to be mindful of sin and to be careful to distance ourselves from it. Help us to wash the stain of sin from our lives through the cross of Christ and, and have a grateful heart. Lord, we are truly grateful that you have blessed us with this time together. Um, I pray, Father, right now for our beloved sister Gina, who is struggling with health issues right now. Lord, I pray for her that you would just help her to be at peace. And I pray especially for Ken, who is ministering to his wife and um, this difficult time. I pray that you would give them peace and hope in these troubled times. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. May the peace of the Lord be with you. And also with you. Thank you. Love one another. And be good.